Before we get started with the show today, I want to spend a minute saying thank you to another listener who donated to us via PayPal. If you would like your own shout out on the Messy Studio Podcast, go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. You can set up a single time donation or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. So that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. So thank you to our listener, Lisa Dugois, who donated $10 to us via PayPal. Uh, Your $10 donation helps us to pay for our monthly costs as well as equipment costs and the time that we invest into this podcast. So once again, thank you, Lisa. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today we are talking about art as a conversation. Most artists would agree that their work is an attempt at communication, even though it is nonverbal. The idea of a conversation with viewers is a good analogy. In fact, we often use the term personal voice in reference to what we want to communicate. The conversation begins with ourselves during the process in the form of an inner dialogue about how things are going. And later, when the work is in front of an audience, it speaks with our viewers via our creative voice. Thinking about our work as one partner in a conversation with the viewer can bring a fresh perspective. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. And before I get started, I want to um, offer a brief apology if my voice is a little bit rough today. I'm getting over a cold. I picked this topic because I had read a quote by the abstract artist Mark Toby that kind of grabbed my attention. And he said, art needs to come through the avenues of meditation. Only then can one have a conversation with a painting. And I thought about that for a little bit, and I realized to me, it addresses both aspects of this conversation that we were talking about in the intro there. The one that the artist has themselves with the work and the viewer's own conversation with the work. And to me, it also implies uh, something deeper that is instilled in the work, more than surface appearance or easy identification of subject matter or whatever it is. It's kind of, um, you know, if a viewer can take it all in in one glance, the conversation doesn't go on. So I think Toby was saying, you know, putting a lot into the work of your own emotions and feelings and meaning uh, conveys itself and engages the viewer more. And I think there's also a, a kind of an odd position that the creator of art is in because um, when you're working, you're both inside the work i mean you're you're creating it and you're also outside the work because uh you know you have your inner conversation but you're also often thinking about um how the viewer is going to respond to this there's sort of like this for me anyway kind of a presence in the room uh that is some anonymous viewer and it's not an inhibiting presence it's something i i always sense that i'm trying to communicate something and so um I think it's good to think about um, how can you bring things into your work that are going to evoke a response, is going to engage people. And we've kind of talked about that inner conversation already quite a bit. We've had episodes about the questions we ask ourselves and about 
um, the inner voice. And um, but today we're going to talk from that other perspective, that person who's who's looking at your work, and how you can invite that deeper conversation. And I, I, want, I wanted to start by saying I distinguish between a monologue and a conversation. I think everybody gets this right away. We've all been subjected to other people's monologues, probably given a few ourselves. And that's when your talking is really just one way. It's usually about yourself or about your own thoughts or opinions. And you don't really pause or let other people in or um, consider asking their opinion about something. And it sort of stays on a, a more superficial level. It's all just, it's just you. You're not getting, you're not getting that um, input. And when you, when this translates into art, because I think some art kind of functions as a monologue, um, it's art that doesn't invite the viewer in. It can be something that is mainly about, say, a beautiful surface and all the person can really do is admire the surface and they're done. Or maybe it's just a depiction of something that, you know, it's a picture of something. Oh, okay. That's a picture of a tree. And that's as far as it goes. There's no, there you haven't conveyed emotion or engagement. And so I guess it's a kind of a, a caution to not make works of art that are monologues. <laughs> if that's a helpful thing to think about. And well, it becomes kind of just an exploration of a person's own ego. You know, it's there's yeah. something very narcissistic about yeah. about you know that art that's really just by about and for the artist, and it's not it doesn't involve other people. Yeah, and you can sense it. I mean, of course, we are pulling from ourselves. Where you know that's our biggest source, but it's not. It's a generous. It should be, I think, a generous sort of bringing things out and trying to include other people rather than, as you say, just shutting other people out. Um, and I, I realize it's a little bit hard to describe that, especially, you know, just talking about it. But I know I've encountered it plenty of times. Um, I, I look at a piece of work and I just, I simply don't engage with it. And some of that's personal um, bias, but I think there is a lot of work that where the artist didn't put enough thought into What's somebody going to get out get out of this? Um, of course, you know when we're when we're in that mode where we're in our studio and we're working, that is a monologue usually, um, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's the production phase of it. You're you're really trying to figure out a lot of things. I think before we get into some of the finer points here, I just wanted to say, you know, think about what how do you feel about communicating with your viewer? Do you think about that and and I mean going beyond things like wanting compliments or sales or, um, you know, pats on the back. But how much do you want your viewer to feel something when they look at your work and, and get what you're after? And it's really basic, um, but perhaps not as carefully thought about as a lot of other things in art. So I guess I wanted to go through some of these ideas a little bit more carefully. And starting with, you know, the whole topic of inviting the viewer to participate, to have a, a say in what's going on, or to have a response, I guess is what I mean. Uh, what, do you, what do you hope the viewer will, will get from looking at your work? And that really does start with 
your intentions and <laughs> one of our favorite topics, right? Um, you know, what, uh, one of the reasons for forming intentions is what do you want to convey? And typically, your intentions come out of your personal experiences and your places where you get ideas and things that are meaningful to you. And I think a lot of us have this urge that these things are so important to us that we do want to say something about them. We want to not only process and explore them for ourselves, but we want to convey them somehow. And it is a mystery often how to do that. We keep trying and trying. Um, we, as artists, many of us at least want that sense of connection, that response. And um, I, I, as I said, I think it's sort of a central mystery because when you feel that urge and you don't know quite how to do it, how do you get there? And and it always seems to get down to me to be just being very sincere about what you're doing, not trying to be gimmicky, not trying to be clever, um, just trying to find that honest place inside you that has something to say. Um, and I think another point is that you you do have some control over this, what we're calling a conversation with the viewer. Um, you have ways to give give it the best odds that it's going to happen. Um, you know, increasing the chance that somebody is going to stop for more than two seconds and look at your work. And the first step really is to be critical of your own work before you put it in front of somebody else. And there's lots of steps to that. And, you know, we also talked about that in other podcasts, the whole step that needs to be taken of self-critique, um, evaluating your work as objectively as you can, because you are trying to see it through someone else's eyes. That's what it, that's what self-critique really is. And that other person's eyes is your viewer. So you think about composition. Um, is the eye led through the work of art? Is there a good color distribution? Are the colors working together? Um, all those kind of things. Is there a coherency, a unity? Is it too unified? It just needs some contrast. And once you go through all those steps very carefully, and I, I think with every piece of work, but also with your work as a body of work, and be tough on yourself, not harsh and judgmental, but tough, saying, um, what, did, what would I say if I saw this painting and i never seen it before? Trying to put yourself in that place. Um, there's little tricks for this too, like, um, there's little tricks to this too, like looking at it from across the room or in a mirror or um, uh, just glancing at it sideways as you walk past it. These are ways to try to distance yourself from it a little bit. We stare at our work so much and we can lose objectivity so easily. Um, I see a lot of work that's put out there on social media that isn't really developed enough for anyone else to get anything out of it. And it's, it's sad to say, but it, I'm sure it looks wonderful to the person who made it, but they haven't been able to step back and view it uh, from another person's eyes enough and see where are the strengths, how can this, what can I do to make this work really carry to someone else? Um, and when your work is underdeveloped and it's superficial, that's as far as your viewer can go with it. 
only it can only be somewhat superficial. Um, and but the deeper you go, and the harder you push it, and the more you develop it, the more chance for engagement because it's a deeper work of art. Um, the other thing I want to say about that is though, don't over explain it. <laughs> Sometimes we think we have to make everything absolutely clear, um, absolutely spelled out in order to convey meaning. But um, there's a good place for mystery in the work, and there's a good place for leaving something for the viewer to add to the piece. And that I think that's also key to this kind of engagement. Um, yeah, that's a lot like incorporating negative space into into your art. Um, it's it's kind of what's not said that defines what is said. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes people. Um, want to talk want to want to do a lot of writing about their work in order to explain it and um you know they relying pretty heavily on an artist statement or something so that they're sure that the viewer sees exactly what they want them to see <laughs> and that really that sort of um backfires people become bored with that um i think the viewers want to engage and and bring something of their own they don't always want to be told exactly what to see and so the any statement you make or when you talk about your work, it's a point of entry for the work. It's a point of entry for someone to understand, but it's not the you know the instruction manual, and um, it's it's kind of a, a poetic stance really to give people enough, but not too much. You know, let them let their own imaginations in there, and that goes for any style of work. That can go for realism as well as more abstract work, you know, being selective, like you said about the negative space, being selected about what you put in there, um, what's essential, and making sure to edit, you know, taking out the stuff that isn't essential, keeping the stuff that is, and that gives a good framework for people to get in to the work. Um, and, and key there is taking out what isn't essential, um, yeah, and that's difficult for a lot of people because of the way that we were taught. Um, you know, when, when you're uh, writing something in in school, in particular, um, it's uh, we need a thousand words on this <laughs> or five hundred words on this. And, and on, in the real world, uh, brevity is more highly valued. And if you can if you can say the same thing in 250 words or 100 words then that's more valuable than than making this long-winded you know as you as you kind of say a monologue you know some mm-hmm. something that uh, uh really is is entirely one-sided and uh it, it doesn't value your viewers time yeah i think that because how much time are they going to spend reading your thousand word artist statement and and looking at your work and trying to get exactly yes. what you put into it. It's you need to value your viewers' time. Absolutely, Re- respect their time, respect their intelligence, respect their imagination. You know, um, give them enough, but not too much. And and realize that uh, people. I think most people that look at art are curious people, and they're intelligent, and they're trying to get something out of it that means something to themselves. And, you know, in that sense, I guess we're all a bit ego-centered. We look at a work of art and say, well, how does this relate to me? If the artist isn't allowing for that, the viewer is shut out. And so some things that aren't over-explained, some things that, aren't, that are a little mysterious, within a structure that 
that keeps it from being really ambiguous, really mushy looking. Um, so that, that's that balance again. We're always talking about balance in here. Um, some some degree of ambiguity, some degree of this is intention. This is what I meant. <laughs> so uh, not not easy uh, and, and indescribable as any sort of formula, but something to keep in mind. Um, and I think uh, under explaining, I kind of went into that as well. I mean, kind of hit on over explaining. Under explaining is, is stopping too short and not not being conscious enough of what your own point of view is, what your own intention is. Too often, I think, especially in abstraction, people get something. They, they're painting away and they see something. And it may resemble something to them or evoke something. And they stop because, okay, I'm getting a little glimmer here. I'm getting a little idea. And I don't want to wreck it, so I'm going to stop. And I have to say that usually that little glimmer, that little thing that you're getting is in your mind as the artist, but uh, it's pretty hard to convey those those kind of things without more intention for your viewer. Um, we get very wrapped up in our own little insights and perceptions as we're working. So again, taking that step back to be objective, um, I think in working in realism, um, not just painting, not just depicting something that you like the looks of it or catches your eye, but bringing some um, engaging interpretation to it, some emotion, something that tells the viewer, why did you pick this subject matter? You know, what appeals to you about it? Instead of just focusing on depicting it and maybe painting from a photograph and trying to make it look like the photograph, that's not really giving your viewer anything um, other than saying, wow, this person's a pretty good painter or whatever, that, that sort of superficial thing. And and with abstract abstraction, it really, to me, means um, going beyond technique, uh, going beyond surface effects, uh, things that just look interesting or cool or whatever, <laughs> because like I said, we can all get caught up in, wow, what look what I just did with the paint. That's beautiful. Um, you know, that can get a few minutes of admiration for your technique from your viewer, but um, what exactly do they take away except wondering how you did that or something? Um, what, what motivated you to paint? What are you interested in? What are you trying to bring from your own experience into the viewer's mind? I mean, these are all important questions. So the last thing I want to talk about is that as artists, we can pour our own meanings, intentions, interpretations, and all those things into our work. And we may then hold the expectation that we have communicated our deepest souls or what we're trying to say and all that. Um, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. <laughs> um, the viewer is always going to have their own interpretation. And we really can't control this. I think of it as setting a stage. And the things on the stage are the things that mean something to me. In my own case, it's aspects of the landscape. It's um, contrast. It's um, emotion. And and those things are in there. 
What does somebody do with that? Well, sometimes people read things into it that you never, ever meant. <laughs> and you can be shocked by it. And I guess I just want to say you've done your best and you can't control it. Um, I'm re reminded of a time early on when I was interested in contrast and I, was, I wasn't even painting at that point. I was drawing with charcoal, large drawings. And these were very dark drawings. But I was just thrilled with the bits of white paper that were coming through. And, you know, it was all about that for me. And a friend came to visit and said, he was worried. Was I depressed? <laughs> because to him, a dark drawing meant that I was in a bad mood and I was depressed. And I just like, what? You know, no, not at all. This is exciting stuff for me. Um, just an example. And, and I think as abstract painters, We've all had that experience of somebody saying they see a figure, they see a house, they see this or that, which was never intended. Um, it's taken me a long time to get over that, honestly. I I, I used to just really, um, it would get my back up when somebody said that because I was intentionally trying not to be referential or I was referencing something that had nothing to do with a figure. Maybe I was referencing a landscape and somebody would say, oh, there's a face. And I'd say, oh, really? Let me get rid of it, you know? <laughs> I still kind of feel that way. It, it is hard to accept that uh, emotionally, but intellectually, I get it. Every We, as human beings, our brains look for things. And, you know, I'm one to look for faces in the, in the wallpaper or whatever. You know, I do that myself. Um, I would say advice-wise, when you're looking at an abstract painting that somebody's done, uh, don't say that. <laughs> they, may, they may be okay with it, but many abstract artists do not like that because it's not what their intention is. But I'm bringing this all up to say this, this whole thing about the conversation can be a little bit fraught. And I guess maybe the correlation is when you're talking to a friend and they just didn't quite get what you said and they answer in some way that says, I listen, but I didn't quite get it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and then you have a chance to go further with it and discuss it. But with a painting, of course, you don't, and you're probably not going to be there. Um, best advice, let it go. You've, you've said what you wanted to say. You've done it. Um, people will see what they want to see. Yeah, and and it can be it can be very um, difficult to deal with because you're you're trying to convey something of yourself and you're trying to have a conversation with your viewer, and uh, you know a a thing that has happened to artists throughout history um, is art being co opted by uh, political or social groups that you don't agree with, for instance. Yeah, um, and maybe views being ascribed to artists that they have no involvement with so there's there's a lot of that yes yeah and and it can be very difficult because because you don't want to allow people to ascribe these things to you if if you don't believe them um but at the same time it's like the more you engage with it the more attention you put on it and there there has to be a uh uh, a judgment call made as to as to how to handle a situation like that and it's it's something that you're you're fairly likely to encounter because this is an open-ended conversation mm -hmm. that you're having with your audience. And you don't really know how you can't limit that audience to people that you like, <laughs> you know, no. they're, 
there's going to be times when when things get confused. And and you know, it often happens to artists who are already dead, so <laughs> they they don't have a word to yeah, say about it. Yeah, and then they can't do anything about um, it. It does happen to artists while they're still alive. Though, yeah, I as have well. I have kind of a funny story about that, which I may have told at some early um, episode. But anyway, uh, years and years ago, I uh, a collage of mine was selected for the cover of the uh, business school at University of Wisconsin Madison. Okay, so this is like a course description or something. And they had gone to a gallery of mine and asked if they could use something of mine there on the cover. And I said, sure. And I was happy about it. So they sent me some of the catalogs, you know, for my files. And so I'm reading the um, the description of the cover that they put on there, my name and bio and whatever. And it said, we felt that this image was the perfect um, um, icon of the business uh, climate of today or something like that. <laughs> And I thought, oh, yes, that's exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> I mean, it was like my mouth dropped open. I can't even remember what the image was exactly. It was sort of this towering, like, tower of rocks or something. And <laughs> I don't know. But I thought it was hilarious in a way. But honestly... Right, and fortunately, it wasn't anything like horribly offensive. No, <laughs> you know, no, it, it, was, it like... was not offensive, but it was just so off the mark, and so clearly, you know, using it for what they wanted to use it for, and that's right. how they saw it. Apparently, they went into the gallery looking for the image of the that would best, you know, show the business um, climate of today or something. And <laughs> anyway, I won. So. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's hilarious and sometimes it's off-putting. Um, and you can't always control that conversation and right. how much, you know, but I think all we can do is be sincere, set up um, everything that we can do for a good conversation. And then if somebody isn't listening or somebody's just being annoying, I guess that's it. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I think that we have to to try to to create our own record. <laughs> you know, we it, it, it helps to have a uh, a blog or something where where oh. you know the people the people who know you kind of know what the context of what you're creating is and yeah and who you are as a person and and then hopefully if somebody takes something out of context or um, you know tries uses something of yours to promote some idea that you wholeheartedly oppose. It's not going to be anything that's, you know, overly detrimental to you. Yeah. That's a, you know, that's a good point about things like blogs um, as opposed to artist statements, because artist statements are things that they do kind of come off as instruction manuals or um, the last word on something. Whereas typically um, blogs, podcasts, even things you write on Facebook, they are your thoughts in the moment, you know, and they're um, they're a better window into who you are and who. You and it also you, there's also an opportunity for for actual interaction with with real people who are looking at your stuff too. Absolutely, and that and in that way, social media does provide that conversation, the verbal part of the conversation, um, if you can get it going. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Um. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that you know when you're when you're getting your work ready to send out in the world and you're doing that self critique, uh, which should be pretty rigorous. Um, don't forget 
to think about the person who's looking at it. And that I think that's where you're straddling those worlds between the inside and the outside of your work um, and asking yourself, you know, uh, are your intentions, your own intentions meaningful enough that they engage people and there's something there for people to, to enter into with? And, and also, are you saying too much or are you saying too little? Um, either way, we'll tend to have people glancing at your work and moving on. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com, as well as www.rebeccacroll.com, and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.